G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. I sat there and for the last time I was able to prophesy and I said, Belinda, you're just about to slip out of your body and slip into the presence of Jesus. I said, I'm so sorry, I wish I'd been a better dad. I just had one moment and how blessed am I that I had the opportunity to usher my own child from mortality into immortality, from life, not into death, but through death into eternal life. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, once again, our guest is author David Schaefer. And as we heard last time, David has experienced several tragedies in his life, which he has written about in his book called Grieve Upwards, One Man's Journey Through the Valley. Today, in part two of our conversation, David will share more of his story and more of the lessons he's learned while dealing with grief. He says he didn't set out to become an expert on grief, but grief kind of found him. He's chatting with Eric Scatterbo in our Melbourne studios. Welcome back to the program, David Schaefer. Thanks very much, Eric. Glad to have you with us once again. And yeah, so nobody kind of wants grief to come their way, but grief has a way of finding us. Grief has a way of finding us. That's true. We don't want it, but it happens. So what are we going to do Mm -hmm. with it? And uh, when Marilyn, my first wife, passed away in 2003, I had to do something about that because despite any other grief that I've experienced before or after, this was the deepest of all experiences, probably because marriage is not a contract. It's not like any other relationship. Mm. It's a covenant. It's a supernaturally breathed on relationship. And when it breaks, when it tears apart, the people that are living and left behind are the ones that are wondering why am I bleeding mm. so much metaphorically. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so this time I had to do something about it. And I didn't know that learning about grief was so therapeutic. Um, I didn't want to stay where I was. I felt like I had a call of God on my life and I wanted to finish the race well and strongly. And so I went to a large church in Sydney. Well, well before you get to that. Tell us a little bit more about how it was affecting you physically, mentally, everything. What state was your mind in at that point? Well, I think I was getting up at the crack of 11 every day. Crack of 11. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would drag myself down to the lounge room. I would open up my little workbook on grief. I would read a verse. I would try and pray. And then... uh, How was that all working for you? No, no, no. It's when, when you're gutted by grief, you don't have much energy to do anything with. Mm-hmm. And so I, I could be back in bed by three o'clock in the afternoon. They wow. were, that was in the first maybe two or three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd visit the memorial gardens. I'd sit over there and just... Because you had been married nearly 30 years. Yeah. She was your best friend. She was my best friend. And uh, we talked about everything. She was my confidant. Mm-hmm. She was the person that taught me uh, so many things and vice versa. 
it was an, a wonderful sharing of life. And, you know, we really explored covenant and the closeness of that kind of relationship. So why wouldn't it hurt? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you feel like roadkill? Why mm. wouldn't you feel like a bit of flotsam floating yeah. somewhere in the ocean? And what might have made it even harder for you was you're in ministry at this time. And aren't pastors and ministers, aren't they all supposed to be experts on death and all that? I always tell people that before I was a pastor, I was a person. <laughs> well put. Well you put. Know, and before I was a person, I was a fetus, and then I was a baby, and then I was adolescent, and, and I didn't know how to live in those years. And, and pursuing a call of God on your life doesn't make you any less a human being mm-hmm. with every feature of what humanity but, experiences. But did, it, did it surprise you how you were reacting? Not really. It didn't catch you by surprise, like, hey, I'm a pastor, I should know about this. I've, I've done how many funerals? No, not at all. I I um, staffed my responsibilities by asking other people, a team of other people, to carry my responsibilities for a season. I um, unwisely gave myself three months, or was it seven weeks? That's not three months. Two to three months to get better. Um, at the end of that time, I was still feeling so under the weather. Unwisely? Why un- was that unwise? Un- uneducatedly. That's not even a word. Ignorantly. I didn't know how long grief was going to So you kind take. of scheduled it for a season. Yeah. But now why was that unwise? It was unwise. Well, it, it was unwise because I wasn't going to be better in two or three months. Grief takes its own course. Mm. And it takes as long as it takes for every individual. And I could not schedule my life hmm. after that. You tried to schedule your grief, but you can't schedule grief. <laughs> yeah, precisely. That's exactly right. And so I just had to go for the ride and work out how to live a little bit better all the time and, and go on the journey of, of back to health for me. So initially you just started on your own trying to get over this thing or get through this thing. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And initially, I think everybody does that. We're just so, so lost mm. in our grief and our experiences that I don't think you can expect very much of a person like that. But then when you realize at some point, when you realize you should be making some kind of progress, um, you think about it. And one of the things I thought about was maybe putting myself and my family through some kind of help course. And mm-hmm. so I rang a large church in Sydney and I thought if they were a large church, I'd have plenty of resources. And they they talked about a course. They put me on a, a psychologist, which talks about a course called Grief Share. Mm-hmm. And um, they said initially, no, 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 you can't do that. Uh, you're deep in grief yourself. You couldn't run the course for somebody else. And then when I explained my ministry background and experience in helping other people, they begrudgingly let me buy it. <laughs> and so every Monday night, my family had come around. By this time, I learned to make a baked dinner. And can I, <laughs> can I say that learning how to cook for me, which I didn't know very well, you know, barbecues and breakfast yeah, that, that, pulled, that, pulled me up. That's, that's my specialty. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, to avoid starving, I had to learn to cook. <laughs> Probably a good idea, yeah. And uh, so I'd cook a baked dinner. And those little baby steps, learning to do new things, even those things, was help because it was going forwards. Mm. It had that little feeling of I'm going forwards, albeit baby steps and slowly. And so my family would come around and I'd give them a baked dinner 
and uh, normally apple crumble uh, to, <laughs> wow. to, to follow. Yeah, pretty good. Wow, that was pretty and, good. And then we'd watch the half-hour video on Grief Share, and then we'd all go home, and we then every morning I'd get up and use the Grief Share book as a little study, and like I just mentioned, uh, it was very brief and very shallow because that's all the energy I had. Mm. But it was something. It was great. It anchored me to the rock that never moves every morning. Well, we don't have time for you to tell us the whole course, but what are one or two of the main things that really helped you about that course? The two big ones that helped me was, number one, it helped me understand grief. It put a reality or a realism about what I was experiencing. It didn't allow me to think super spiritually about it. It was real, and it had certain... Uh, symptoms and I had to learn these things and every time I learned something more about grief I felt like I was taking a little bit more charge of my mm. of myself and my experience because you had been kind of passive grief was pushing you around yeah so now you were kind of taking control I was and and to be so honest that's a helpful thing very helpful I don't think anybody ever really starts to grieve in a healthy way until they become intentional about it. But the second thing I did that was right was that I began to express it, like understanding grief and then expressing your grief. They're the two biggies going through grief. There are many other things that you can do as well. And for me, uh, you know, some, some people, they're real talkers. And I can be a bit of a talker too, but in this instance, I became very private, but I, I bought exercise books and pens and I began to journal as I got stronger and stronger I began to journal my journey all the way through and that's how I began to express it for me I had an ocean of words that were trying to come out of Mm. me in an effort to heal the pain and you had people to talk to yeah not many I think in the time of grief you've got to be very careful who you invite around number one they have to buy in you know that uh, I call it the the Pentecostal backslap. There are lots of people that come up to you in a time of grief. They slap you on the back and say, "Praying for you." Hmm. You know they're not, uh, but they don't know what else to do. That's hmm. their way of trying to reach out to you. But there are some people that God will raise up to emotionally invest into you and give you the opportunity to emotionally invest in them. And these are the people that will listen sometimes for long periods of time without judgment, no matter how much silly stuff comes out of your mouth. And you can guarantee that your perspective on life and God at different times during grief will be a little bit strange. Mm -hmm. But these people will be the ones that will allow you the freedom to talk. My, I only had one or two really close people, and the closest of those listened and listened and listened. I cannot remember more than one piece of advice he gave me in two years. He just listened and encouraged, listened and encouraged, listened and encouraged. I find this very encouraging because I would have no idea what to say to somebody who's going through grief, who lost a loved one, but I can listen. That I can do. <laughs> well, you'd be terrific at it. The The time you run into problem is when you say, well, it's been six months now, you should have closure. Yeah, you kind of should get over this. Yeah, or when I experience grief, this is what I have, as if you now have to follow the pattern that they uh, had. You know, they're people that may have experienced grief but don't know how to talk Mm. to somebody who is experiencing grief at the moment. 
Um, in my early stage, very early stages of grief, I was listening to a wonderful man of God called Danny Guglamucci. He talked about the four guys that carried their friend up on the roof on a stretcher and broke open the roof and lowered him into the presence of Jesus. And he made this point. He said, four out of five times in life, we're called to carry somebody else's stretcher. Mm. One out of five times, we're meant to be on the stretcher. And my takeaway from that was that when it's time for you to get on the stretcher, make sure you do give yourself permission to get on the stretcher. So following that for must have been for about three or four years, I did. And people were happy to help me. They realized I was still in grief. They were happy to listen again mm-hmm. and engage in the conversation. I'm sure in the early days, um, we could have started talking about refrigerators and ended up on grief. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't matter what you were talking <laughs> about. But one day, a friend, a really good friend said to me, do you realize every time you talk about anything, the conversation always goes to grief and the death of your wife. And he said, how long do you intend to keep this up? That jarred like I cannot tell you how much. It's Mm. like he was disrespecting the memory of my wife and how dare he. And, and, And even though I got as angry as spitting chips, I went back to God and I said, what's going on here? And without a doubt, the Lord through a number of things showed me that it was time to get off the stretcher. Mm. You can't stay there forever. And so painfully, one leg after the other, I got off the stretcher and committed to move forwards into my new normal. So there is a time to get on, there's a time to get off, and somewhere in the middle you've got these wonderful people that God raises up Mm. just to walk with you and encourage you while you're going through it. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatterbo is once again chatting with David Schaefer, the author of the book Grieve Upwards, One Man's Journey Through the Valley. Next, we'll hear more of his story and more of the lessons he's learned about dealing with grief when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is once again David Schaefer. He's the author of the book Grieve Upwards, One Man's Journey Through the Valley. Next, we're going to hear more of his experiences going through the valleys of life and more of the lessons he's learned along the way. Now, unfortunately, you learned all these things about going through grief, and then, eventually, you went through another significant loss in your life. Yes, I did. In 2013, well, it was 2011, my my daughter, who'd been born with allergial syndrome, had to have a liver transplant. In 2013, she passed away. Uh, She'd become the face of organ transplants on the RPA Mm. program. And she went at Easter time in 2013, she went into hospital for what we thought was just a normal cleanup of another infection. Because, you know, I mean, if you've got somebody else's organ in your body, Mm. your immune system is lowered in order not to reject Mm. the the Mm. liver that's not yours. Uh, But she was sent home only to get worse. She went back into hospital. She never came out. She was on life support, and we got to the very end 
of that experience, maybe a day or so out, we realised that she wasn't going to live. Interestingly, by this time, I'd been through so many seasons of grief. And, you know, the, the closer you come to death, the less fear you have of it. Mm. And the, if you're a Christian, the more reality of eternity in heaven you have. And even though this was my precious, precious girl, uh, I had a strength that carried my whole family and everybody that came into the intensive care section of RPA. I was able to carry them through that. I was able to encourage them. I was able to mobilize a prayer army all around the world. I didn't want my daughter to die any more than I wanted my first wife to die. Mm -hmm. But Sometimes you've got to go through them, not around them. And this was another one of those experiences. And so uh, there we were. The doctors finally came to us, to her then husband. She'd been married for 15 yeah, months. Tell us about that, if we could just kind of go on a sidetrack here. She had this illness. She was born with this illness. And she never expected to get married. Is that right? She never expected to get married, and I never expected her to get married either when I think about it was a wonderful hope, but it wasn't a reality that we entertained. Did she have a life expectancy of over 30 years? Or? She was told that after the liver transplant, the average time people survive is about 20 years. So that meant longer for some, shorter for others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and And so here's Belinda, married to the most beautiful young man who we're still in such a close relationship and even though he's remarried now i love him as if he were my own son and there's a great connection but uh so there we are rowan her husband and me her father and the staff came to us and said we think we you know there's no hope we think we've got to unhook her from the life support machines and they said are you ready for this and of course you're never ready for that, but you have to be. You don't have a choice. So I asked um, Rowan for permission if I could just have a moment with my girl. And I went into the room alone. And years before, when Belinda was sick, we used to have to wake, not wake her up so much, but go in when she was asleep and shovel this stuff called cholestyramine into her. And a little mouth had come open and she'd eat this gluggy stuff to help her digest food because the liver wasn't working properly mm. and oftentimes I'd sit on the edge of a bed and I would um, start to after I'd fed her this stuff I'd start to declare things prophetically mm. I'd say you've got a voice for this generation God's going to raise you up you've got a great call on your life and I'd feel such a flow of of prophetic unction or whatever you might call mm. it at that time and um she told me at some time after that, in fact, she said at her speech at a wedding, Dad, you thought I was asleep when you were saying all that, but I would always wake up to hear mm. what you would prophesy over my life. And I still look back and think probably the best prophecies I ever gave anybody in my mm. whole life. So when I sat down on a bed that day in RPA and I, I sat there and for the last time I was able to prophesy and I said, Belinda, you're just about to slip out of your body and slip into the presence of Jesus. You know, like a, like a dad, I, I, I said, this isn't going to hurt. <laughs> uh, I, I said, you're about to meet your mum. I apologise mm. for not being the best dad that ever lived, you know, because we clash sometimes. Mm. 
I said, I'm so sorry. I wish I'd been a better dad. I, I'm not quite sure. But though the, those are the things I can remember. But I just had one moment, and, and how blessed am I that I had the opportunity to usher my own child from mortality into immortality, from life, not into death, but through death into eternal life. I must be the richest and the most blessed father that ever lived, I think, to mm. be able to go through something like that. And then Rowan came in? Yes. Yeah, my little experience, as rich as it was, was finished. And, and then Rowan came in and um, it was about 20 minutes later that we and myself and the rest of the family came in and Rowan was holding her in his arms and he just looked up and tears running down his cheeks. I remember it and just nodded with this smile, the sad smile on his face mm. and as if to say, she's gone. And there it was. But you know something? Something's only lost when you don't know where it is. Mm. We know where Belinda is. Yep. Wow. So here you are going through a second major loss. But this time you were a bit more prepared. So much more prepared. I mean, I'd been prepared for the first loss of my wife by walking with God for so many years. Mm. Now I had that plus these extra years I'd walked with God plus the experiences of other griefs that had helped me lose the fear of loss, helped me get mm. life and heaven and eternity into perspective. In our final remaining moments, what advice would you give people who are listening and, and hear what you've gone through and maybe are going through or about to go through a significant loss? What advice would you give them to prepare themselves? If I could start with a word of encouragement, the cross of Jesus proves that something very good can come from something very bad. Mm -hmm. yep. Advice, be consistent in your walk with God. Be consistent in reading the Bible and pausing and getting the gold out of it so that it's not information, it's revelation. Be consistent in your prayer life. Go into the presence of God. Don't just talk through a closed door. Go into the presence of God and talk with him as a friend like Moses did, as a friend talks to a friend. Uh, be intentional about grieving. It is going to happen. I, I, I guess I joke a little bit about it, but, you know, either you're the reason why somebody else is grieving or they're the reason why you are. <laughs> if, if they're the reason why you are, be intentional. Face it. It's real. It is happening. And there's a way through it. Grief is not our enemy. Grief is our friend. It's something that God gave us in order to take us from a place of deep crisis and deep tragedy through to a place of great health mm -hmm. again where one day you can say, I don't know how this happened, but I think I'm one of the happiest people I know, mm. despite that. They say that if you break your leg and it heals, it actually heals stronger. And I guess you could say the same thing about grief, that if you go through it and process it in a healthy way, that you can come back stronger than ever before. And it sounds like that's what you're saying. Yes, it is what I'm saying. And do stronger you, in your relationship with the Lord than ever before? Absolutely. And stronger in relationship with people. Um, if I can add to the analogy, if you have a broken leg, you won't sit at home and wait for it to heal because you know it'll heal badly. Hmm. You take it to somebody who can heal broken legs. 
If, so where do you go if you need to heal a broken heart? Uh, we have just the most amazing Christians who are psychologists, who are counselors, who are mentors, who are coaches, mm-hmm. uh, people I, like I hope I'm one of these people mm-hmm. who've had a huge amount of experience and been trained and developed as a coach. And f- to give a person a safe place, a transparent place, a place full of confidentiality where they can empty their inner thoughts mm-hmm. and where the person can help them go at their pace and move at their pace through to places mm-hmm. of greater and greater health along their healing journey. Um, that's all part of being intentional, mm-hmm. doing a course with somebody, that's reading the right books. Read, read Grieve Upward, start there. <laughs> Oh, I kind of thought you might recommend that one. <laughs> well, but yet you've it. earned it. You've gone through. You've had the experiences, and it's helped you. Yeah. And now you can turn around and help others. Yeah. David Schaefer, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. My very great pleasure. That was the conclusion of our two-part conversation with author David Schaefer. His book is called Grieve Upwards, One Man's Journey Through the Valley. To find out more about that book and more about David Schaefer in general, you can go to his website, davidschaefer.com.au. That's davidschaefer.com.au. Also, if you have any questions for him about grieving, you can contact him through that website as well. Finally, we'll end today's program focusing on grief with these verses from the Bible. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. Also, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He's always there for us. Well, thanks for joining us for David's inspiring story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Lord, is being an actor on a stage what you want for me? And the the answer was clearly no, because he began to change my heart. And a good friend of mine who's a a precious brother in Christ came to me because he knew the struggle that I was going through. He went to the same university I went to, and he said, John, have you ever thought about a different type of a stage? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, have you thought about radio? I think you'd be pretty good in radio. John Hull is from Houston and has been involved in Christian radio since the 1970s. He now travels the world over, including Australia, helping stations improve their radio skills. But this is not what he originally set out to do. We'll hear his story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 